Welcome, everyone. I'm Jan Arden. This is the Jan Arden Podcast. But I have two very special people that come with me on this journey week after week after week. Caitlin Green, Adam Karsh. Is, they're both in their Toronto homes, respectively. I am coming to you from Vancouver, British Columbia today from Bruce Allen's office in downtown Vancouver. Actually, I'm in the woods of rural Quebec. Oh, the, like technology. Adam, you can make up where you are. You can tell us you're in Maui if you want to. <laughs> sure. In a room that looks exactly like my basement office. Yes. We have such a fun show for you. We are going to be talking to the brilliant, young, funny, hilarious host from the great Canadian baking show, season five. Yeah, I'm excited because we, we talk about food so much on this show and we all yes, love we food so much. And baking, I feel like, became everyone's sort of favorite pastime. I think during the pandemic, it went from not wanting to waste bananas to making your own bread and just boredom turned into comfort. And now I think it's a more regular part of everyone's life, along with comfort viewing. And I think this show is kind of, it, it encompasses both of those things. It's like a cozy watch at home. And also, you might want to bake some of the stuff that they do. Oh my God, of course you do. And there's something about watching. There is a lot of drama in food. There's a lot of drama in how they edit these shows of the time they have left, of the roof falling off of the masterpiece gingerbread. I mean, it is tense. I I always feel like I want to take an Ativan. Watching these guys pushing it to the final place they've now burnt the caramel somebody every season burns freaking caramel can we just keep your eye on the caramel because that is really that's you know um anyway there's a lot of drama and it really is very compelling um i ended up binging a couple of seasons all during the pandemic of the great british uh baking show yeah this is sort of what started it all right yes yeah okay um that's sort of, I think Canada has been doing some of these franchises. I mean, just lately we've seen uh, Family Feud, the Canadian version of Family Feud. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, of course, has made a huge impact um, in Canada, having our version of that. Yeah, now we have Canada's Drag Race. I yes. love it. Like, I mean, I feel like for a long time, Canadians kind of, we always watched other people's content and it would be this big hit and it took a while to make its way here. And I think that's happening just so much faster now. Um, well, I, I just think having a Canadian spin on these shows is really important. And of course we get all the American stuff too. People are always saying, I watch both. I watch all RuPaul stuff. And of course we have Brooklyn Heights here doing, you know, the the seasons here in Canada and a guest host coming and going, but there's something about a Canadianized version of anything that we always cheer on. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples of things that have come here. You're like, what did we not have the bachelor, the Canadian version of the bachelorette or the bachelor. No, we haven't done that. Have we? I don't think so. I know that they filmed, I know they filmed like a recent getaway on the bachelor, like one of amazing their- race, amazing, yeah, we race, have amazing race, of course. Yes. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if it makes any difference. Maybe I'm just talking crap here, but is there a huge difference between the American uh, and the Canadian versions? I mean, there is, I just, I kind of like, I like seeing the Canadian version of kind of anything. And I think it's just that, that same element that Canadians just love 
we just love our own success stories. We love any kind of homegrown success story. So I think that's kind of why I get a kick out of it. Plus, I mean, too, we're a little spoiled. We work in media, obviously. So when, you know, Canada's drag race starts, you know, we know, I know Tracy Melcher a bit. So it's just cool yes. to see people you're familiar with. And uh, I, yeah, I like that angle. I like it. And maybe on the Great Canadian Baking Show, they do very Canadian specific things like butter tarts that might not make their way onto the US or UK versions. Nanaimo bars. See, exactly. Right. <laughs> like the Nanaimo bars. Um, I'm going to completely switch topics right now because we are going to be talking about food, obviously, in the latter part of the show mm-hmm. uh, with Anne and Alan and can't wait to chat with them. I want to just cut right to the confusion surrounding the vaccinations. Uh, the American border is going to be opening to us. The land and rail mm-hmm. segments of travel between our countries is going to be opening up. And there is still a lot up in the air as far as uh, Canada is one of the countries that mixed the vaccinations. So we had AstraZeneca and Moderna. Some people had a Moderna and a Pfizer. Some people had Pfizer and AstraZeneca. So they really, the Americans haven't given us any sort of concrete answer of how they're going to deal with millions of Canadians that have a combined vaccination. Thoughts? Oh, it's an illogical mess. <laughs> this is so, this is frustrating to no end to me personally, because I'm one of these mixed people. So I had my first dose was Pfizer. Then there was that random, you know, global supply issue around Pfizer. So my second dose was Moderna. And at the time I did have a little bit of hesitation because I wondered not if it was safe, I knew it was, but I wondered if one of these types of, you know, logistical snafus would wind up rearing its head later on. Yeah, from countries and here we are. Where and this, I knew this was going to happen, but my mind was, look at the science is there. This produces a really strong immune response. And my number one priority isn't going away on vacation. It's protecting myself from Delta. And so I'm glad I got it when I did. I still think that was the right call. If you're listening and you're one of these people, just know that you still made the right call because it was, it, it produced a really strong immune response for so many Canadians. And it meant that we got our population vaccinated faster and our numbers have been just so much better than in the U.S. So I just think it's a U.S. issue. It's not so much our issue. I know people are frustrated with the fact that the government told us to do this and now people's travel plans are being impacted. That certainly is frustrating, but it's really the onus in my mind is on the provinces to either give people with mixed doses a booster so that they have two consecutive match doses, which is possible. And we know boosters are coming anyways, so you can kind of resolve two issues. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of us are now looking at November, December, January, because I was April and June for my shots. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Alberta's already, I believe, now this is because I, I posted about this on Twitter and I had a bunch of responses from people all over Canada and some people in Alberta said, oh, well, Alberta's already offering a booster shot so that they can internationally travel. So if you had a mixed dose, they'll give you two matching ones at the end. So Alberta's already apparently on board with this. If we could get the rest of the provinces on board, that's one way to resolve it. The other way, of course, would be for the U.S. to just open their eyes and review the massive piles of data that we've provided them with on the efficacy of mixing your doses, whether that's AZ, uh, like a viral vector vaccine, and then mRNA or two mRNA vaccines. It's, you know, it's worked really well for us. It's worked really well for a lot of countries in Europe where they've taken on this as well. And our numbers support it. So I hope I'm crossing my fingers um, that perhaps in the next few weeks, they will review this information and the CDC will say, okay, we consider mixed doses fully vaccinated. No problems here because it's leaving a lot of people in the lurch. I mean, 3.8 million Canadians have mixed doses, including our prime minister. So if, if you're frustrated <laughs> by this, I, I don't imagine this is going to persist for long. I just, I don't even understand why it's a thing now. I mean, you have to hand it to 
our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, really. Uh, here's a guy who's, you know, one of the leaders of the free world, certainly. I'm not saying that Canada's a giant military power, but we are, we are looked upon with a lot of respect still globally. And here's a guy that could have gotten two Pfizer's, he could have got two Moderna's, he could have got two AstraZeneca's, he could have got, it's the prime minister. Yeah. He had a mixed dose because A, I think he wanted to support Canadians, cheer them on and say, listen, I'm doing this. I have a family, mm. I have kids and a wife. This is what we're going to do. And let's think back. His wife did contract the coronavirus yeah. and they were all quarantined. Um, you know, everyone was doing the best they could, but um, I think the U.S. is absolutely going to okay travel. Mm. I think they're just playing the big world power right now. And by what we say kind of goes, uh, honest to God, what happens behind closed doors would probably surprise us all, but I think we will get there. You guys. Yeah, I think so too. It's just, you know, it's too bad. The timing wise thing. It's just, it's too bad. I'm seeing people all over social media saying, you know, this is impacted. I'm, I'm, to like myself and my husband are the only two family members out of a group of 10 of us who are planning a big family vacation in the U S that have mixed doses. And now we're unsure if we can go with the rest of our family and sure in the grand scheme of things, vacations, obviously not the biggest deal, yeah. but people have waited a long time for these things and everyone's stressful. And it's just, it's that nice little carrot. That's something to look forward to that seems to be taken away. And again, needlessly, if this was actually a public health issue, that would be one thing but it isn't. And so it's a bit foolish. I just, I hope they snap into place on this. I mean, this happened in Barbados. Barbados didn't consider Canadians with mixed doses fully vaccinated and it negatively impacted an Ontario couple's wedding plans. They actually had to move their whole wedding to the Dominican Republic, I believe, either their wedding or their honeymoon. But then Barbados went, oh geez, we really, okay, we'll take a second look at this. And they pivoted very, very quickly. So I do hope that that is the case. I hope that every Canadian who is fully vaccinated, whether that's, you know, a mixed dose or not is recognized by the U.S. because it's really exciting to have the land border reopening. I think they're saying early November. The belief is that it'll be sometime around November 5th or 7th. And um, again, I'm in the Eastern townships of Quebec right now. And normally part of our trip out this way, because we come at least once a year is to go across the border to go to Vermont. And it's still so beautiful here and we always love it, but I love that one little day trip to Vermont. It's a nice thing. So I'd I'd like to be able to see the U.S. in person. Now, do they have a target in Vermont? I don't usually go to Target, but we would drive like I live just outside of Calgary, west of Calgary. And my couple of girlfriends and, and myself, we would drive to friggin' Montana to go to the Target. <laughs> and I remember one year going and buying all these bras that were three dollars and ninety nine cents. Oh and I gosh. didn't try them on. And my friend Teresa's is like, this is probably back in the day when I was drinking. She's like, you should probably try those on. And um, I tried them on. I think I bought 10 bras, uh, just sight unseen. I, it was my size. I bought them and uh, brought them back. And anyway, all, not one of them fit me. Not one single $3.99 bra fit me. I don't know who did the sizing. Some, somebody who obviously knew nothing of breasts. Um, it's probably some guy from Tennessee. I don't know. You'd think they would know about breasts. But anywho, uh, we ended up having a bonfire that night and we chucked all the bras and had my friend's kids have my bras that I bought at the end of a stick and melting them over the bonfire. And then the wires were just sort of hanging there on the wood. It was a really good time. You're listening to the Jan Arden podcast. You're probably wondering, what is the topic? Well, we have a very special guest coming up pretty soon. 
you're going to have to come back and listen to Anne and Alan talking about the great Canadian baking show. But not yet. You're stuck with us for one more go round. We'll be right back. This girl is on Pfizer. Welcome back to the Jan Arden Podcast. Caitlin and Adam are here with me. We've been talking about the confusion surrounding mixing vaccines going to the U.S. Um, I had friends that have a cabin in Montana, and they haven't been there for 20 months. Thankfully, their neighbors have been looking in on stuff for them. But uh, they are so excited about the possibility of going. And I think... The I think they are double modernists. So okay, good. But their kids are not. Oh, so their children are under the age of twelve. So they're probably not. No, they're yet. no, not they're they're in their twenties. Oh, but, I see. But they all but they would all go to Montana and have a great time um, at the cabin. And yeah. Christmas is coming up. They've spent mm-hmm. many Christmases there. They couldn't go last year. So that's a quandary. When I see families that are split by this, you were talking mm-hmm. about, you know, going on the holiday with your family and you and Kyle are the lone dogs out having the mixed vaccine. Well, so no, that was a, that was a reference to someone else who was talking about this. Oh. I've seen it on social media, but no, this is impacting us because we are thinking of going away to um, the, the Caribbean with some friends who currently live in the U S and the plan was to go down, meet them in the U S they live just outside of Detroit and for us to travel all together from Detroit directly to the Caribbean. And this is kind of throwing a wrench in the plans. So I just, I don't know what will happen and if they'll change these rules by the time Christmas rolls around again, I certainly hope. So I know the CDC is reviewing the mixed dosing data and our data is excellent. I mean, Canada has fared far better than the U.S. in terms of COVID numbers and deaths and every single statistic we've we've outperformed then even relative to our population size. And so I think I think it's just not a strategy that they chose to adopt because they have vaccine manufacturing in their country. Yeah, they do. We don't. We don't. We're at the mercy of we used to. Canada used to lead the world in vaccinations in in um research and development and we did make vaccines in this country i mean yeah we did we produce them in quebec it's Mm -hmm. it it really is a shame it's it's like um i I don't know it's like the world just forgot that there was sort of some evil bugs out there that could come and get us at any time and to let that kind of that kind of thing lapse, I think, is very negligent and not not much foresight on a government's part to say, listen, we need to get ready for this. Every single government kind of wears that one. So as much as it was, I believe, the Mulroney government who ultimately made the decision to sell off um, that Canada, that vaccine manufacturing plant in Canada because the government had a stake in it and it just wasn't as profitable as it once was. Yeah. Um, governments thereafter, liberal and conservative both, received huge recommendations from um, public health officials, especially after the SARS outbreak in Toronto. So after that happened, um, they were basically given this big document that said, included in it, 
of the many recommendations, we need a vaccine manufacturing facility here. And we need to include this in our approach to, you know, fact viruses moving forward and, and no one did it. And so now I know that they're going to be making plans to change that because I think our vaccine procurement strategy was excellent. I mean, we really, considering we don't make our own, we did pretty darn well, but it's just not good enough because then those supply shortages happen and you end up in the situations that we were. Uh, so yeah, I, I hope everyone can, I hope that this, I hope the mixing doses is recognized globally very soon, but until then, every, anyone who does have a mixed dose, you're going to have to check. You're really going to have to check. Uh, are you getting used to showing your vaccine credentials? Uh, I've, you know, been, I mean, I live out of town, obviously, but uh, even flying today, I flew to Vancouver and I had to pull it out to go into the lounge. I don't mm-hmm. even know why, why I went in there. It was mm-hmm. like, there's nothing in the lounge, really. <laughs> um, uh, I had a bite to eat when I came on the other side, just whipped into a little restaurant in my rental car. I parked it and I was asked again. And, um, it's just, I'm just, it's, it's so weird. I just feel like I'm living in some kind of futuristic world that pretty soon people aren't even going to be able to fly domestically. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's unusual to see. It's the first we've ever, I mean, we're living through history. All of us are living through history together. And so there's no point of reference for this and it's very unusual. And um, for better or worse, humans do tend to acclimatize to things fairly quickly. So I was surprised the first few times that it happened, but I think the first few times that it happened, I was just so excited to be, you know, (laughs) eating, eating inside again. That yeah. I was like, I don't care. And then I think, you know, eventually over time, it'll wear on people, I would imagine, because it just becomes this added step, this added thing that you have to consider. And yeah, but I, I'm kind of getting into the swing of it. It was interesting to do it here. Uh, now I'm in Quebec right now and um, they're, they check much more closely, I found. In in back in Toronto, I found, you know, and again. Yeah, yeah, for- that's it. They just sort of flash their phone and you're in. Yeah, and there they they're looking for ID as well. First dose, second dose, matching your name. When were the dates? Was it long enough? Are you fully like they were very, it was very, um, very different here. That's for sure. Well, there's an app in Alberta. Of course, Jason Kenny is doing everything that he said he wasn't going to do with the QR codes and all of that stuff. But now there's an app. It escapes what it's called, but it's so companies in Alberta can check to see if the the stuff that was handed in, like you have to be vaccinated by October the 29th, or you have to go on unpaid leave. So there's a lot of companies like that, a lot of government um, agencies. So my friend who works for a little town, let's say, I'm not going to say where, they got the app and she thinks there's going to be half a dozen people that are going to be immediately dismissed for uh, falsifying documents because the app, it, it will you know, it actually does the check to see if it's mm-hmm. certified and, 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 and not forged. And she's just like, this is the hardest thing. These are people yeah. that I thought I knew. And they it's- have literally forged uh, being vaccinated to stay in their job. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, fooling everyone around them yeah. and being unsafe. So what, it doesn't leave a company any choice, but to, I'm sorry, not only have you lied, but you can't, be in an office with 50 people unvaccinated. Yeah. And again, like 
the stats don't lie. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And your chances of, of getting sick, of spreading whatever you may have, um, it just goes up if you're not vaccinated. So I don't really, um, I know it's so frustrating for people to go through all this together. And some people have a harder time kind of getting on the old treadmill than others, but we don't really have <laughs> any options given the what we have just lived through with COVID. I mean, I would love to get into the DeLorean and go back to a time where this didn't exist, but <laughs> that's not the case. I mean, it takes, and it is, I feel like it's, it's akin to grief. Like it's this process of grieving what you once had and this, the simplicity of the life you used to live and not having to have these contentious, weird personal health issues spread into your day-to-day life. But I kind of just feel like, well, here we are. <laughs> I don't what else to do about it. Um, so yeah, I feel, I feel for anyone who, you know, you're kind of looking around at some situations that may complicate things for coworkers or friends who just maybe now they can't travel now they can't do this or that, but you know, forging documents is probably not going to go over well, not going to go over well with your employer on any front. You can imagine, you know, the desperation though, to probably have people that have never done anything like that in their lives. I don't even know how to get my printer on to print out <laughs> my my thing from the Alberta government that shows my <laughs> my vaccine dates and everything. It's this little blue thing that's and it says printable card. And I'm looking at my phone going, what the F do I do now? Like, how do I get something that small off my printer? And my friend was like, Jan, are you that big of a moron? I said, apparently I am. She said, you cut it out. You put it on a full-size piece of paper and you cut the thing out. I'm like, well, I didn't know. I thought there was like a little card you put in your printer and then it just prints it out. Where do I get it laminated? Oh my God. So this is what I've been dealing with my friends. I feel bad about it. So right now it's on my phone, but we, listen, we've got (laughs) two very special guests. We have the beautiful hosts from the great Canadian baking show. Season five, Alan and Anne, who are funny, charismatic. They are, they represent. I mean, all I can tell you is that they are making this such a special eight part series. And uh, there's lots to talk about. So when you come back, we're with Alan and Anne, the brilliant hosts from the great Canadian baking show. Don't go away. You're listening to the Jen Arden Podcast. Sugar. promised all you food lovers out there I know a lot of you've been waiting for this we have with us Anne Pornell and Alan Shane Lewis hosts of the great Canadian baking show (laughs) Anne and Alan you guys are probably the most popular you have the most coveted job in the entire Country, if not world, you guys are mm-hmm. around food. You not never mind food, but are are I think everyone has such a weakness, especially given this last eighteen months for baked goods of any description. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, I'll start with you, Anne. What has this journey been like being a, a co-host on this amazing franchise? I know already that I sound like a complete broken record because anytime anyone asks in real life, in an interview, I'm like, it was like a warm hug. 
And it was that. It was just such a comforting and fun and joy-filled experience filled with some of the best, best bakers. And Bruno and Kyla are incredible. And it really felt like I was being rewarded for having stayed at home for all of the lockdown. <laughs> like I was finally being like the sun was finally on me and I was like a little kitten in a sunbeam. That's what it was like doing this show. So Alan, do you, do you think that you ate a disproportionate amount of carbohydrates? Like, was it hard not to eat? I mean, I know that's part of the job, but when the cameras kind of went, okay, cut, like, were you guys literally going, I- I'm going to eat one more of those? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like a human raccoon. Like, anytime they're like, and cut, and like, they're about to clean things up, I would just run over and make a little plate for myself. And like, the plate itself was just like the leading tower of pizza of just all these baked goods. And I'd take it back to my trailer and I'd come back like a little brother that I am and go to Ann and be like, look what I got. And like, all these like amazing like dishes from super sweet bakers that like really put, out their heart and soul into a lot of these baked goods that are like really, really good. Like when you watch it on TV, you're like, wow, that must taste good. But if you actually get to taste it, you're like, oh my goodness, it's this next level of stuff that like personally I cannot achieve, but uh, I'm great at eating it. And let me say, (laughs) Alan barely shared with me. When he would knock on my trailer, he'd be like, look what I got. And then just go to his trailer. And I was like, rude, my guy, rude. But if there was like specific things, I'd be like, Get your little box. Oh, I got you. Once I got in a you. while. Yeah. Once in a while. <laughs> but yeah, 100% true. Yeah, I, I think part of part of the uh, the like the fascination with it is that we're at the other side of the screen, just mouth watering, thinking of eating these things. I mean, and, and let's face it, everybody was baking. There was a the, sure, flour became like cocaine in this country. There was. <laughs> There was back alley deals going on for freaking fast rising yeast. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so I don't know if the government had a like a line on. Okay, we can get forty pounds of flour for the show. <laughs> Meet me at uh, the corner of. Um, can you walk me through a little bit of what the audition process was like to get a job like this? Because someone has asked me the question. Can you please ask Ann and Alan? what it was like to audition to be host for this show and how do I get that job? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, this warehouse that they had, like a whole like fake kind of co- uh, kitchen set. And um, I went there and, you know, you read off the script. They're like, now, you know, talk to somebody and just play with them and just like talk to them as they bake and find interesting questions and ins and outs. And now it's just like, yeah. Wow. Right. So I did a bunch of that, a lot of improv stuff. And uh, to be honest, I was like, well, I didn't do great. All right. That was fun. <laughs> and then months down the line, you get a call and you're like, oh, I'm going to stand up and walk around as you tell me all these great news. Like I was just like, uh, yeah, as, as Ann said, it's like a warm hug. It came at the absolute right time. It was in the middle of the pandemic. You're just kind of there at home all the time. And just this opportunity that just like completely changed my life. And uh, I, I'm just I'm just so grateful for it. Well, coming you guys both have comedic backgrounds mm-hmm. um, and in improv, that has to be a useful skill when you are auditioning for things like that. And although it's not in the realm of, huh, this is going to do five minutes of stand up every show. And, but, but I think those, those skills of being reactionary and saying things on the spot and being in the moment, that, that kind of training training, that's kind of a lame thing to say, but that kind of experience in comedy had to have been helpful. And 
It was. And it really was training, right? Like I've been improvising for uh, just about 10 years now and I took classes. I took many classes. So it, even though we kind of, improv gets a really bad rap as being like, ooh, I'm a chicken. <laughs> and it is that. But moreover, what improv is and how it helped in this particular case is that it teaches you to listen. It teaches yeah. you to not plan ahead. And I think one of the reasons why um, this job is so enjoyable to not only do but to watch is because when you're watching the conversations between Alan and the Bakers or myself and the Bakers, it's all improv and it's all coming from a place of, I am going to ask you a question and then listen to your response and that is it. And when you're able to be in the moment like that, it just leads to fun. It leads to also vulnerability and openness and getting to see someone's real side. So improv really for sure helped me get this job. (laughs) Do you think people, how do I put this without sounding really mean spirited? Do it. (laughs) Like when people are getting critiqued, it, it's it's very cringeworthy for me to watch the show when people have obviously failed at a task and you know when the judges go around to cut into that thing and eat it and it's not the right color and the, it, this was burned and this fell apart and everything went wrong. Um, it's so hard to see them get critiques. And I'm just wondering how that was in real time standing there in that studio and watching these people break into tears when things went sideways. I think like, especially like the, the earlier bakes, they kind of get a sense of for like what the tent is because the tent is not your, your kitchen at home. It's a different type of oven. You have to learn about uh, different things you have to adapt. So there are a lot of those factors that go in. And I think a lot of the times the bakers can be, you know, their toughest critiques, but the end of the day, they're putting out amazing bakes that 99% of like the population can possibly do. And I, with Bruno and Kyla, I think they're very helpful with what they say. And uh, they are very specific. It's not just like, you know, uh hell's kitchen is like this is whatever it's like it's not like like that it's a lot of like you know you probably no should have swearing worked, so. at anybody <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> off camera let me tell you no uh, <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's super sweet it's, it's super constructive and i think the bakers are listening because a lot of times you'll see the next week they'll be like i heard that last time now i'll do this so it's they're they're getting themselves like they're they're training and learning and they get better each time so yeah. And also what you're seeing on TV is the edited version yes. for, to be compressed. But really, Bruno and Kyla are so wonderful in how they give their critiques because they're not going to say something mean to be mean. If they're saying something that's perhaps a little bit hurtful, it's probably because it's true. And the bakers know that. they There is no part of them that's just like, well, they're out to get me. It's like, yeah it did get burned. Yeah, this is not finished. You can't really argue with criticism like that. Um, but truly they, you know, for every one critique they have, there are five effusive, wonderful things that they've got to say about that bait. Um, I always love seeing the underdog story. I love seeing you, you know, contestants coming from behind and, and season five certainly had all of that. Um, do you guys, and be honest now, do you have favorites that you're secretly cheering for? And you obviously have to set it aside and you can't say anything. But did you? I mean, I think I would be a liar if I said <laughs> I didn't. But the fact is, it's it's like 
six people are my favorite. And the only reason why it's not 10 is because those bakers didn't stay long enough to have that relationship. Like I, you really do fall in love with them in the tent because what you're seeing is these people working so hard at something that they love and that they're passionate about and something that's not their job, right? These are all home bakers who um, do this for the love of it. And the baking show attracts a certain kind of fan and a certain kind of audience and a certain kind of baker. And they're always great people. (laughs) So yes, there's favorites, but like, no, there's not. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I would imagine it would be hard to set aside your, just to have that. I know that I would, I without even probably thinking that I was doing it, I'd be picking somebody and kind of praying for them. And then when it all went sideways, it'd be like, ah, what can I do to foil the other contestants? <laughs> yeah, we make those threats a lot. Yeah, we offer them. Like, you want me to put salt over there? I can do that if you want to do this. Like, just tap on the table twice. You don't have to, like, you know, say it, but, like, just wink it. We'll do it. We are here with Anne Pornell and Alan Shane Lewis from The Great Canadian Baking Show. We're going to be right back. You're listening to the Jan Arden Podcast. Welcome back to Jan Arden Podcast. I'm with Adam and I'm with Caitlin, but I'm also here with Alan Shane Lewis and Ann Pornell, host season five of the Great Canadian Baking Show. And what uh, an experience that was. I want to dig right in to you guys and your relationships with food. We ask so many people that are guests on this show about their childhood lunches that they took to school. And Anne, I'm going to start with you of, did you take a lunch to school did you stay at school to have that lunch or did you go home to have it? And and what would that look like for you? My lunch was almost always, <laughs> oh, here we go. It was rice, like white rice and chicken nuggets. <laughs> and if I didn't get that, if I got anything else, I would be upset. Like I was that kid who was like, I have to have that same lunch. Otherwise, I'm not going to eat it. And oh. Um, I would say that for the most part, I did eat it at school, but like in grade six, I had a friend who lived across the street. So we would say that we got a note from our parents to leave school for lunch and we would just pop over there and eat our lunch at uh, her place. And you'd probably have two lunches. You had the lunch that you had in the box and then you had whatever was at your friend's place. Alan, exactly. do you have a, a lunch? Uh, did you have lunch favorites? Did your mom make you a lunch? Did what, what, what went on? Yeah, my mom uh, would make my lunch and it would it because we're West Indian, we're Trinidadian, so I get a lot of like Trinidadian food. That sounds um, or, spectacular, whatever that yeah. is. I would have preferred that over yeah. like a tomato sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I get the big thermos and you know, you'd have that to be very careful because like I'd break them because I was a very just like, you know, clumsy <laughs> child. But I get that, so I'd always have like a nice home cooked meal in there and then like a passion For lunch? and then a bunch of candy. Yeah. Man. <laughs> and then a Del Monte apple juice. Wow. That was the way. Or a pop, but don't tell any of my teachers. They didn't like when I had that. <laughs> they were like, is he drinking a chubby or a Coke? Mm-mm, that child shouldn't be drinking that. Too much sugar. What, what, is, <laughs> what are your go-to comfort foods, you guys? Like what What really – I, I don't, don't want to say like last meal that you have on the planet, but I think all of us kind of develop these, these go-to things. And I'm just wondering if you guys had things you ate during the pandemic that you never really – considered before i love chinese food 
and so not like un- uh, unfortunately not traditional or authentic Chinese food, which is delicious <laughs> in its own right. But I love the sort of westernized, um, uh, anglicized uh, Chinese food. Like that to me is comfort at its core because it's greasy. It can be spicy, and it's full of carbs and fried stuff. So I love it. Who doesn't like a deep fried chicken ball with the plum sauce? I know, I know. Like I don't know. Well, I, I think that is a very go-to. And let's face it, we were all doing takeout. We were all either picking it up or having food delivered, and you can only eat so much pizza. Alan, go to comfort foods or things that you are your favorites. Yeah, I definitely have a rotation of Uber Eats. It's kind of embarrassing <laughs> how they're just like it's like the same five in a, in, a, in a row, but it's a lot of McDonald's. Uh, wow, I've I've been eating chicken McNuggets since the Happy Meal, and I've like not changed that. Like my friends from elementary school will make a joke, like you're still eating nuggets with barbecue sauce. I'm like. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> what of it? Uh, that, uh, and I love a good, like, curry goat, like, uh, uh, roti. That's just, like, mm, that That makes my soul just happy and warm. So would you just hit the Uber Eats reorder button? Like, a, it, it does show you what you ordered in the past, right? Yeah, depending on, like, the time of day, because I know, like, delivery times and everything. Like, I kind of, I factor it out. There's, like, a, there's a method to the method. He's got a science. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it goes down to a science, and it's like certain things at certain times. I'm like, this is probably going to be the best and most fresh right now. So you know, I'm going to do this. And right now, I'm probably going to get Mother of India. Oh. I'm going to get some butter chicken. That's going to be great. It's right here. There's traffic. It's easy. I don't live too far from it, so it's great. Are you a cook, Anne? Are you a baker? So no. what do do you feel like you that having no experience was kind of a good thing to have going into you know the, the baking show? Like to have zero experience with baking or cooking? I will say I'm not a big cooker. I'm not a big baker, but I love like Food Network is my default channel. So I might not participate in it, but I do love like I I read books on food and uh, cultures and different food cultures. Um, So my mind is open and like a sponge. So even though I don't know how to, I'm always engaged uh, in what I'm watching because like Maybe one day I'll want to cook or one day want to bake, but not today. <laughs> what What would you cook for me if I was coming over? Like oh. if, if you had to make me something, you and I are going to have a little meal. We're going to, we're going to binge watch something. What are you making me? I'm not going to make anything, but I will assemble <laughs> an incredible charcuterie board, okay. like a huge Smart. board of all of the meats, the cheeses, the fruits, the jams, the honeys. Little treats. Like, I love a really um, non-authentic... What I went to Paris and they were like, no one should put any fruit on a charcuterie board. I'm like, okay, calm down. But, like, a really <laughs> kitted out charcuterie board with everything you could think of and just graze. Just graze for hours. That is, that is an art form that... Um, there's companies, I know, going out doing, like, these charcuterie-type boards that are 10 feet long yeah. and 4 feet wide. And I thought... How is that going to continue on with COVID? Like, what does that look like with, you know, everyone just going up to the board and picking stuff off? But I love that idea. I do love a plowman's lunch. I love, uh, just hand me a baguette and I'll come and sit and watch Netflix anytime with you. Alan, what would you make for me, do you think? Yeah, I I recently bought a grill. So I'm like, been grilling. Uh, My sister came over. I did a seven hour pulled pork. That was a lot of fun. And then I made a barbecue sauce based on a TikTok trend. Like the, the, okay, the what is you know, that? It's a water. 
So it's a watermelon and um, they put mustard on it together. So I reduced the watermelon down into thing and I put a lot of, uh, made it into like a vinaigrette, mixed it into the barbecue sauce and like add a little bit of spices and like some things. And I made it into a barbecue sauce. You are a cook. I, I, I can cook. I just don't cook. <laughs> it ends up just being, I'm like, I could do that or I could just get it in 20 minutes. Did you guys learn anything? Did you guys learn something from this series? Did you leave with with information and skills that you did not have before you started? No. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I don't want to lie to you, Jan. (laughs) So you can't make a freaking scone? What's happening? Like, I can follow directions, but like loosely those are just a guide right (laughs) okay i learned one thing you have to listen sometimes when you're in the oven for certain things to when it's time to take it out listen so there's like a a sound you have to wait yeah there's a you have to listen you mean like the buzzer going off the timer (laughs) no you have to be like right right at the oven and you have to be just like super prepared to take it any second so that's one thing and tempering chocolate is (laughs) see (laughs) he didn't learn i learned that I think that's I think that's good that you came away with that. Would you ever want to be a contestant on the Great Canadian Baking Show? Is would it even be remotely possible for either of you to participate in that way? In the Great Canadian Baking Show? Certainly not. We don't want to poison Bruno and Kyla. They're wonderful people. I'm not baking anything for them. Yeah. No one wants to see me just cry by the the entire time. Um, Somebody wants to know from Instagram if it's real. I'm not sure what that means. Is the baking show real? I think what they mean is does somebody come in in between and there's other people doing all the stuff? Oh, no. (laughs) Absolutely not. It's a a high pressure. Mm -hmm. They're doing it. They're doing the damn thing. just with 10 cameras on them, uh, a hot tent, and then we're just like, hey, what's going on? So it's like all these different distractions at the same time. So they're just like multitasking. And the fact that they put this stuff out there, it's like a testament to how talented they are. Are we allowed to ask, is it over an eight-week period or is it condensed a little bit more? Is the show done in a month or how is that shooting? How does that How does that go? And obviously they're sworn to secrecy because we're, <laughs> we're seeing it after the fact. I believe our shooting schedule for this season was over six weeks. Okay. So I don't think we're uh, we're, we're we're showing how the sausage gets made, but in a, in a in a small way. <laughs> Basically, um, for one episode, it's over two days of filming. So you'll have the the signature and the technical on day one, and then the next day you'll have the big show stopper. And it's not back to back to back. Um, They'll have a few days in between so they can, you know, practice their baking and make all the adjustments and do all of this. So I would say 18 days, 20 days of shooting over six weeks. That's a lot, though. It's a lot for people, you know, being away from their families. It's just a lot of pressure. And it's long days. Anybody that's done any television in their life realizes that TV is grueling and there is a technical aspect to it. All those little cutaway shots that people see. Anyway, I could, I could sit here and talk to you guys, Anne and Alan, forever. I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Um, you've answered uh, so many of the questions that I was wondering about. I wish you continued success. I hope there's six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and 11. I think uh, it's the kind of feel-good television that we all want so much. And who doesn't love a good reveal? 
Damn it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish you continued success. I hope I get to see you guys doing your, your thing, do, being funny and doing TV. And I just wish you both all the best going forward. You guys are representing so – we're just all so proud of you and proud of the show. Thank so you. So keep doing what you're yeah. doing and eat those baguettes. <laughs> we will. We'll eat them. We won't make them though. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely not. You've been listening to the Jan Arden Podcast. We'll see you next time. Too, you. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.